0: Hey guys, girls, plebs, plebets and pleblings, welcome back to the Once Bitten podcast or if this is your first time tuning in, welcome to the Once Bitten podcast and welcome to the Bitcoin Rabbit Hole. As we keep discovering new aspects of the Bitcoin network, what it means for our friends, our family, our future and everybody that's participating in it. Thank you so much for joining this guest today is Joe Hall, Joe Nakamoto on Twitter, a Bitcoin roving reporter putting in the hard yards and the miles to travel around to different play parts of the world to get the latest scoop on what's going down in the world of Bitcoin. I've met Joe on numerous occasions, spent five days with him in Madeira. Love him. Love you, Joe. Thanks for coming on, mate. Thanks for doing everything that you are doing. Keep up the great work. Before we do the show, Let's shill some companies where you can get your hands on some of the best Satoshis ever made. You can find your way to freedom via SwamBitcoin.com, coincorner.com, bitcoinreserve.com, and relay.ch. All of the aforementioned companies are brilliant Bitcoin-only companies. Go and check them out. Do your own research. Depends which jurisdiction you're in. If you're US-based only, certainly just head over straight to Swan. If you are global, th- these these are good options for you. All of them: Coin Corner, Bitcoin Reserve, Bit, uh, and Relay. Uh, you can use euros. You can use pounds. Or in the In the case of Bitcoin Reserve, you can use US dollars as well. So check them out. Do your own research. All the links are in the show notes. Uh, Click that link. You'll get taken straight to the landing page. There are different discounts or free $10 here or there, depending on which one you choose. You've got to stack safely, though. Each one of the companies aforementioned, all of their founders, would push you to self-custody. You can use the Bitbox 2 hardware wallet it's a bitcoin only edition hardware wallet and it has your best interest at heart you can get a five percent discount by hitting the link in the show notes again that's the bitbox02 bitcoin only edition hardware wallet are you getting across to any of these conferences coming up guys don't forget in prague 21st to 23rd of october we have liberty now lifetime being put on by the free cities foundation that's peter young and titus gable we also have Riga coming up, the, the uh, honey badger, and Amsterdam, the big one. The Bitcoin Magazine team are coming to Europe. Bitcoin Amsterdam is the first conference they're gonna run over here in Euroland. Go check out the link in the show notes. You will get a discount and prices do increase the closer we get to the start date. Check out the Pacific Bitcoin Conference as well, being put on by Swan Bitcoin and the guys over there. If you use the code Prince, you will get, I believe, 20% discount, but go and check it out. Thank you everybody for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this show with Joe Nakamoto. Alright, Joe, we're live. We are recording. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. Well, I was just explaining to you that I could be a little bit better, as I look awful at the moment, and I was I was glad that it's not a YouTube video. But um but i'm good all things considered, that i'm pretty well excited to chat to you and uh, yeah hang out and talk bitcoin
0: but well, that's, that's the problem with you you young millennial bitcoiners you're, you're out <laughs> till 5 a.m partying because you got fuck you money right it, 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 <laughs> i, I wish i, the, the I wish that was the case
1: <laughs> i wish that was the case no i've been i've been pinging around trying to chill the corn in a well i was in gibraltar last week and then it was my my partner's 30th on saturday and uh, as my mum would say i've been burning a candle at both ends um, and so as a result i've got this horrible like growth on my eye i look like a pale ghost and um <laughs> yeah I'm on my third coffee and it's only 11. so yeah that might explain that the jitteriness of me today <laughs>
0: uh, so you're in, you're back in the uk at the moment
1: i am i'm house sitting yeah. similar to your um choose life book i'm yeah. a, bouncing around various countries and a, one of them is the uk because my my parents live here and uh, when they go on holiday I look after the dog and obviously I get to look after their nice boomer house um, which is obviously (laughs) a big perk
0: (laughs) hang on a minute I got to check your parents age here in case you're mistakenly calling me a boomer no
1: no you're not a boomer you're um gen y aren't you Uh, no is it gen y Gen 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 x gen x yeah yeah no I made that mistake um with a Larry and Larry Lepard and Greg Foss, because Larry Lapard, definitely a boomer. He he yep. claims it and owns it. Greg Foss on the cusp of being a boomer, but he still owns it, right? And then Jeff Booth, however, he's
0: he's your generation, no? He's, he's more gen X? I think so. I'm not even sure Jeff's reached 50 yet. I don't I, I don't know. Is he around I think he's right around 50. I don't know. I think he's
1: probably worked out how to not age. Yeah. <laughs> <He's> just... <laughs> It's just you uh, sold it before you know Vitalik or any of the other, um, like you know, regenerative life people gather. Yeah, there. But no, my parents are definitely boomers, they're in, they're in the 60s, so I think that's definitely boomer territory,
0: right? Okay, good, good to know. Uh, so yeah, you do live uh, a digital nomad lifestyle and you live on Bitcoin doing that, right? So I think Correct. this is, um, something a lot of plebs are going to be interested to, to learn about how you've set this up. But mm-hmm. let us do the full art. Yeah, grew up um, in the UK, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, university.
1: Yes, yeah, I did okay. um, what was expected of me, um, uh, yeah,
0: right? <laughs> what was got, that? Got, got, <laughs>
1: well, you yeah, know, get get good grades, get that well-rounded education um, that Brits love to uh, love to aim for, and then um, went to a red brick university. So I was at Edinburgh. I did uh, languages and economics. Um, which I actually love the languages element because with uh, this was pre-Brexit, of course. So the government or essentially Erasmus, the EU, gives you money, free money. It's just a grant to to travel as part of your third year. So I really pushed it and did like 16 or 17 months abroad. I basically went abroad from May when you finish your second year term until uh, October of the following year. So however many months that is. And then, yeah, gallivanted around France and then spent seven or eight months in Mexico, had a great time. But yeah, And then I did an economics part of the degree as well, which didn't really make sense at the time and definitely doesn't make sense now. (laughs) So that might have been a bit of wasted time. Um, And then, yeah, graduated, moved to London, did the typical grad dream route, which is, you know, get your graduate job in London. Did that for two and a half years and got a bit burnt out. And um, I arrived in London in debt. And left London in greater debt and was like, something's not right here. And uh saw a saw a job posting in in sort of June 2017 that said, uh, international business developer, uh, write research and get paid to travel the world. And I thought, this is like a scam. This is like, you know, ICO sort of style marketing for jobs. Uh, but obviously I applied anyway, because I was young and dumb. And uh, ended up getting that job. I flew to Madrid with it and uh, got the job. And that sort of started my sort of pseudo journalism career. And this was working in pharmaceuticals. So we'd get dropped into countries and uh, we'd have to like network our, network our way into boardrooms and then pitch big pharma executives with um, content creation. I'm going to call it that rather than journalism because it really wasn't journalism. Right. <laughs> and then off the back of an interview that I conduct... Um, a very attractive uh, salesperson, always a woman, because it was always a man-woman combo, um, would uh, swoop in with the, uh, oh, I'd just like to compliment the the incredibly intelligent things you said there, Mr. CEO, with an advertising space. Would you like to you know, put that next to the interview that we're going to publish on behalf of X company, that I won't say now. And um, I did that for a year. And then, um, but I, I quite like the journalism element and I love the, the travel element. And uh, I was hooked basically to, to being to having no fixed address and uh yeah from that it spun off into uh, a bloomberg it's like a bloomberg funded british media company so they they do do journalism there is reporting there is research but it's definitely through the lens of what bloomberg would like or that you know it's like any you know, journalism outlook from the Guardian to the Financial Times or whatever, there's always like certain narratives that you have to follow. And I have that now with Cointelegraph, right? We can't speak about certain actors, for example, just because that's our company policy. Um, But yeah, and then did that for a few years in places like the Ivory Coast, Trinidad and Tobago, Tunisia, fuck, where have I been? (laughs) Mexico again. uh, And then I lost my job in Tunisia uh, in March 2020. And you know, this is when like the pandemic chaos kicked in, and everyone was like, "Oh, all the old people are going to die," and there was um, rumors that we're going to have to create like mass burial grounds in the UK. Do you remember this like mass hysteria phase? Yeah, it, it was. Yeah, it was, and it was. It gripped me. I was terrified, and I was like, "My parents are old. I don't want. Well, not super old, but you know, old enough to be to be um, at risk." And so I was like, "I need to get out to Tunisia." And uh, in Tunisia, the situation was abominable. It was just. Like the, I remember the queues to the supermarket on the days when Europe was starting to close its borders and people were turning up in like homemade hazmat suits. So, you know, like the, yeah, it was, it was incredible. I wish I'd like filmed or documented this period of history because it was just fascinating and people being like really aggressive, being like using their trolleys as like barriers to like fight against each other. And I basically went to the supermarket and stocked up on loads of beer. Loads of like beans and pasta and just thought, okay, I'll just have like a couple, of, a couple of weekends at home. Maybe get the old surf in on Tunisia's north coast and then it'll all blow over you know, back when we thought it'd be two weeks. And before I knew it, before I knew it I'd lost my job and had been sent home and uh, was yeah living actually where I am right now. And uh, was really panicking about like money and employment and that sort of thing. And uh, yeah, I don't know, how should I weave Bitcoin into this? Because I'd heard about Bitcoin prior to this, but I don't know.
0: Well, like, let, what I want to do is actually go back a little bit. What was your mm-hmm. grad job in London? What was that like? Because uh, you know, so many people they they finish. Although you managed to like, uh, what, how many countries did you visit in that that like eighteen month period under the guise of education? It was only like four,
1: but right. I did it. Uh, it was just lots of different places in France. Like one was near your um, your uh, one of your homes, one of your. Yeah. One of your residences in France, um, in the <laughs> southwest, <laughs> in Les Alpes de Lune, which is near, um, like just up from Bordeaux. Right. And then uh, another one was in Perpignan, which is mm-hmm. pretty near you, I think. Um, and then I did another stint in Lyon. And then I went to Mexico City. And there I did all sorts of weird jobs. I was like, a, well, I did lots of weird jobs in France, but in Mexico, I was like, I just strolled into a job as a science teacher um just because you know i walked in i don't know i think it's because i was white as well i think that definitely played a role as there's definitely a lot of classes in there and uh was like uh, i'd love to teach english to the school and at the same time learn spanish and they're like oh we don't have a role we don't have a post for an english teacher uh do you do you understand science and i was like sure i've got a gcse in science see what happens and uh before i knew it i was stood in front of 30 you know 12 year olds teaching them um science in spanish So obviously that was just chaos. Um, Good (laughs) fun, but (laughs) chaos.
0: It's amazing (laughs) what can happen when you just start blagging your way around the world.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Act like you belong. And before you know it, you're doing coke and mentos experiments in the playground. But we're doing it on like on a skateboard. It was very, very silly. And then also managed to get a job at a law firm as like a, a translator slash interpreter. Again, when my Spanish wasn't very good. And I was in one meeting where this American client was losing it with the um the the mexican lady that was sat next to me and i was like oh gosh like he's he's calling all sorts of terrible names here (laughs) i really shouldn't translate this and so somehow managed to meander this insults and criticisms into some sort of compromise between the two of them along the way i was like wow interpreters aren't really interpreters they're kind of like um, negotiators like they're they they're actually looking to find compromise and ways in which these two people can actually get along rather than or at least that was my pseudo-understanding of it when I was twenty one years old. I should not have been in that meeting room, basically. And again, <laughs> blagged my way in and was like, what am I doing? <laughs> this happens a lot, as I'm sure you've seen.
0: You you've yes, you you've got what, five languages under your belt, would you say? Uh
1: English, French, uh English, Spanish, French, Portuguese, four. Right. Um, I I blagged Italian, um, which Sophie always um uh, mocks me for as i didn't know what the translation of joe was into italian when i was booking a restaurant and just went for Giov- giovanni out of nowhere and they're like no it's giuseppe you idiot and i was like oh, <laughs>
0: almost got there
1: <laughs> so now she calls me giovanni
0: right that, that's that's solid effort though like four languages is um it's pretty amazing coming out of the uk because we've got such a dumb kind of tongue to i, I don't know like we're not well, we—I guess we're lucky enough to speak the um, the distributed, decentralized network mm. language of the world, right? Uh, it's true. So, yeah. um,
1: uh, but, your kids uh, speak languages, though. They speak—they uh, speak some French.
0: Yeah, they speak French. Yeah,
1: I was—I was speaking to Samuel in French um, when we were at the Bitcoin Adventure, and yeah, uh, I think he's enjoying it. I'm—I'm I'm not really sure, to be honest. He couldn't tell me what di- um, Diplodocus or Diplodocus is in French. But then, nor could I.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm sure it's the same with just a weird accent. Yeah, true.
0: So the, the grad the grad job was what? Once you had actually. Oh, the it was sales so, and
1: biz dev at a or business development at a um, hotelier slash uh, travel company. They basically owned a bunch of hotels, apartments, chalets in the Alps and in Southwest France. And we're looking to package them up into holidays, and they owned an amazing domain name. That I think I can just say it. they owned skiFrance.co.uk, and yet we're marketing themselves under a different company. And I was like, guys, you own like this absolute gold dust like domain name. I mean, you could either sell it or you could just use it and rebrand the company to, to Ski France. And uh, we we ended up rebranding to Ski France, and I got loads of travel with them to France. I got loads of skiing in as well, which was great and um yeah it was it was it was a really sort of satisfying job but you know it was was effectively glorified tourism so the pay wasn't great and i just knew that yeah i wanted a bit more and also living in london i mean you've did you you lived in london when you first graduated when you first moved there as an 18 17 year old something like that
0: no i i worked in london um as a 19 year old but i was traveling um in and out on the trains from the home counties Uh, i wasn't living downtown
1: okay okay yeah and yeah rents are uh, exorbitant and you know even now visiting some pals who are now getting to really senior leadership positions in the various jobs that they're in who started originally in grad schemes they've still got flatmates and i'm like you guys are on nearly like you know 80 90 100k some of them and they're still having flatmates i'm like At what point do you just be like yeah, enough's enough i need to stop spending two grand a month on rent and go live somewhere a bit more affordable or you know where the quality of life is a bit higher So yeah, I I did that for two and a bit years. And I just, I think I got quite depressed as well. I didn't realise it at the time. Another like British trait when we don't realise that we're actually (laughs) clinically depressed and we just think, oh, it's just the weather or it's just, I don't really like my job or
0: something. (laughs) Whereas truly all it is, is the money's broken.
1: Mm. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of points throughout my career. I'm still quite young. Like I'm, I'm, I'm 30 this year. So I'm I'm aware that I've still got a lot to learn, but there was definitely a lot that I learned through traveling that was like a subtle orange pilling, because naturally when you go to a new country, you have to, and we're doing with Bloomberg, it was macroeconomic reporting. So like if we're in Trinidad, for example, we were like, okay, they use the Trinidadian dollar. It's made by the central bank. It's pegged to the U S dollar. Uh, it was 10 to one in 1990. Now it's 50 to one. Therefore it's depreciated, you know, X amount. And it's the same in uh, Senegal and the Ivory coast where, again, their peg to the, it was the franc at the time, so the French franc, that got halved. Actually, Bitcoin Magazine did an amazing piece with Alex Gladstein and um, what's his name, the Senegalese guy, his name will come to me um, about this. And then I went to Senegal this year to report on it because I was just fascinated by, I mean, I'm fascinated by all these currencies around the world that are, are effectively paper and a government says it's paper and there's this belief system within a territory that this paper is worth something. And then you can cross a border, which is an imaginary line that we've created in our minds and said, this is a border. And then the paper's worth nothing. I was in Tunis Airport on the way back because um, I left loads of stuff in Tunisia because I thought I was only going to be home for two months. So I eventually got back there 20 months later to collect like a surfboard, a guitar, like a load of clothes and stuff. And uh, I, I like treated it as like a tourism sort of weekend and did loads of like fun stuff and then went to the airport with like, 25 quid in my pocket it's so like 30 dollars in tunisian dinars and you get to the airport and i completely forgotten that once you get into tunis airport the money in your pocket is worthless mm. you can't spend it so i was there with like 30 quids worth of uh, 30 dollars worth of tunisian dinars and i was like showing it to the person be like can i pay for my lunch please before i got on the plane they're like no we don't accept it here and i was like well, why is it that 200 meters this way like behind me i can this is worth something and suddenly i'm in the airport and it's worth nothing and so i think yeah there's I mean, there's another anecdote of when I was in Trinidad and Tobago, and they um, they swapped out the $100 Trinidadian note, um, similar to what we did in the UK where we got rid of the old 20s for like plasticky ones that you can't rip. And they did this in Trinidad, and the bank expected that there would be a bit more queuing, let's say, from people returning the Trinidadian notes. What they didn't realise was how big the informal economy or the black market was in trinidad and just how many people weren't trusting banks and therefore weren't saving putting these dollars in the banks so there was queues going around the blocks all these banks to swap the hundred trinity notes for the new trinity notes and (laughs) there was like a guy with a wheelbarrow and i Mm -hmm. was like just curious i was chatting to people i was like what do you do mate like you you know you're in finance do you have a business he's like oh no no i'm a priest <laughs> i was like what <laughs> why does a priest have a wheelbarrow of hundreds of dollar notes like i was like have you never banked he's like no why would i put my money in a bank like i use a susu which is like a um sort of a local savings account it, they originally come from africa they're, they're called um, tontines in, in west africa and there was just loads of people just queuing to swap these banknotes, and they were still not banking with the banks mm-hmm. and so again i was like okay something's wrong here you know people don't no people don't trust the banks the way that say someone in the western world would anyway and uh yeah <laughs> it was just uh amazing to see and if you think about how many notes are around the world that aren't in banks and that obviously they want control of because yeah who, who he who controls the money
0: exactly um, so all of these little subtle touch points obviously mm-hmm. led you down the rabbit hole somehow but when did it all start clicking for you
1: Yeah, I guess um, it started in earnest um, in early 2019. But I guess I technically first heard about Bitcoin in 2011. But that was through a friend who's still very much into Bitcoin, um, who uh, was just Silk Road stuff, you know, having a lot of fun Um, in the year before I went to uni and just browsing this website and being blown away by all these like five star reviews of obviously illicit substances and being like, wow, it's like Amazon for, for, for narcotics. What, what is going on here? Um, and obviously paid no attention to, to the payment tool that was behind it all. And the reason that made it so successful, successful. Um, and then fast forward to 2018, early 2018, the first time I went to Lisbon, I was surfing, um, off the coast, and I bumped into a Canadian guy, um, who had a really nice wetsuit on, like a really thick, like Patagonia one. They're like the most expensive wetsuits, and he had like a really sick board. And um, he wasn't the most amazing surfer, but he had all this nice gear. And uh, we were just getting chatting, and he was saying how uh, he was going to quit his he'd quit his job, and he was going to study herbal medicine for the next couple of years, like Asian sort of alternative healing techniques. And um, I was like, "Sorry, but how did he? How are you funding all this?" Like how? And he was like, "Oh, I, I bought some Bitcoin a couple of years ago, and uh, yeah, sold a bit in in December." And so that sort of spurred my interest. But because I was employed at you know a Bloomberg subsidiary at the time, I got down the the blockchain route and was mm-hmm. like, "Oh, wow, this Bitcoin stuff is built on a blockchain, and that's fascinating." And so I still have a load of qualifications on my on my LinkedIn. So guys, check them out. Uh, <laughs> blockchain fundamentals and like blockchain implications and all this nonsense uh because i i really went down that rabbit hole what an idiot i was i know in hindsight but i did talk about it a bit of work and said and inevitably i became like the blockchain specialist um for the reports we were doing and we'd interview people and be like oh so logistics you know that clearly needs to be on a blockchain you know re- you remove all the trust and you can make it all so that um so you're planting i don't know plants in the field and you can put that on the blockchain and then the uh the cultivator can come in and see where the plants are and then uh you know straight all the way to the consumer of the product can see oh okay it was planted by princy and then joe cultivated it and xyz and in theory it's a bit like communism right in theory it could be like this amazing system but in practice you've got humans doing it and humans are greedy <laughs> you know people that want the best for themselves ultimately um, at least my my cynical worldview makes me makes me think that, and um, and so if if you know I'm having a bad day at work, I'm lazy, I'm tired, or whatever, I'm going to come to this plant and be like, oh sod it, yeah, I cultivated that, whatever, I I chopped the head off that plant, no one will know, but it goes on the blockchain as as completed, you know, Joe definitely reaped this uh this uh crop, uh, and so yeah, you can quickly pull apart a lot of the blockchain theory but uh it got to around about uh, january of 2019 uh had a lot of conversations with um colleagues at work being like i want to write more and more about uh, bitcoin because i've seen it growing as a remittance thing and they're like mm, i don't think so it's a scam it's a this scheme. it's also not within like our narrative like if we're going to talk about bitcoin we've got to talk about it within the framework of cryptocurrencies and therefore risk and therefore you know the piece can't necessarily be a positive piece and I was like, okay, but I started to do it anyway. And there's a few pieces that are still there. i've re- I've removed my name, of course. Um, but there there's a bit of fud on the internet um because of me, my sins <laughs> um,
0: so it, it, i re- I remember those days, the the blockchain days. Uh, I was getting drawn into all of that bullshit too. And I remember I think I was on a flight, maybe I'd picked up a copy of The Economist or something, one of those one of those magazines, right? that, mm-hmm. um, that you'd. You just flick through when you're um when you've got that bit of downtime, and there was a blockchain article in there, and it was about mm. was it about shipping or was it about trying to trace back like a salmonella outbreak poisoning like using the blockchain because the, the blockchain fl- oh, yeah this is how because if somebody gets salmonella in the supermarket from something like whatever uh, you know name a crop or meat. They'll just be able to go straight into the blockchain, figure mm-hmm. out, follow it all the way back and pinpoint the pig farm or wherever that, you know, that, mm. that outbreak came from. I was like, yes, mm. this, this is the future. This is going to solve all of humanity's problems. Um, yeah, like, no. Nope.
1: I would love to write a spoof article, like the Onion style thing about how, um, you know we can track the, the covid outbreak from, um, back to a wet market in 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 wuhan
0: back in to wuhan, some bat know. soup <laughs> yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> the bat
1: soup was actually on the blockchain oh mate how yeah, we it, were all duped yeah it's um it's i think blockchain technology is fascinating and that's it's fascinated a lot of people for a long time but it doesn't work you know, it's, it's it's the only thing it's worked for so far, and I think the only thing it will probably work for is money, and because it, you know it makes sense, and that's why you know Satoshi's breakthrough was so so important. But any other, I, I haven't, I'm still looking to this day for a successful implementation of a blockchain on a big scale. Like I've known, I've known families, and I've known very very small businesses that have managed to do it, but you might as well just use a database. Like mm-hmm. it, it's it's effectively the same thing. But the the real like light bulb moment for me was when I was in the Ivory Coast. I mean, you could say I'm a slow learner by this point, because I've seen so many touch points. And I've seen I've learned so much about blockchain and all this. And I I literally knew my Merkle trees from my, I don't know, my Nakamoto consensus, my proof of work. I'd really studied it. I just hadn't got it. And I needed I needed to see a real world use case, I guess. And my driver in the Ivory Coast in Abidjan, um, an amazing bloke called Guillaume, who I'm still in contact with, and I actually send him sats over lightning just for fun, just be like, hey, what's up? Um, He was using uh, Bitcoin. Well, his son was actually sending him Bitcoin from Paris um, because his son had gone to Paris. There's a lot of um, West African uh, uh, diaspora do. Yeah, Uh, And he was using that and he was receiving it. And that was his, you know, he was saving in it effectively. And I was like, oh, my God. We have got this so wrong. <laughs> I've been led down the garden path about, you know, blockchain. Uh, and in reality, people are using this thing. And it's um, and you know, he he didn't trust the the West African Franc, as lots of his um compatriots don't, because why the hell would they? It's it's controlled by by Paris. I mean, even the note itself, the design is so like the you know, the, the drawing on the note, like you know, in the UK we've got the, the Queen's head or whatever, or in the Commonwealth too. In in West Africa. This design is like some palm trees and like some coconuts and it's drawn by some Parisian guy like sat on the Champs Elysees and then it's printed there as well. And then it's sent to like Senegal and Togo and Benin and all these places. It just blows my mind that, that this currency still exists. But yeah, that was when I was like, okay, I've got this wrong. I need to really commit to this thing. And, and um, I did a little bit of stacking, but it was also around the time when um, there was a big pump in 2019 I think it went up to like 10K and then halved. And I wasn't like a weathered uh, season sort of Bitcoiner by that point. So obviously I saw it pump and then I saw it drop again. Then I sold it all. And again, you know, idiot looking back. Why don't I just, you know, set it and forget it. And then, yeah, but for me, COVID was the real like um, catalyst, as I think for a lot of people it was, you know, that was because I, I lost my job and I've always had quite a, a strong work ethic, I guess. And I got a job at a factory around the corner from where I was. Um, where i was living in in york in the northeast and uh basically got all the podcasts not yours unfortunately as you know (laughs) (laughs) i was actually quite late to send onto to to your podcast um but yeah I, i sort of downloaded bitcoin into my head you know went full sort of neo in the matrix just eating sleeping breathing bitcoin and was like oh god yeah i really need to learn a lot more about this and then you start to go into the philosophy into economics into the sort of the lifestyle the culture. All, all the things that sort of bitcoin touches which is almost everything in in life because obviously money is uh the oldest way of communicating and the sort of the best way of communicating with a lot of people too right um and yeah that's when i really got sort of orange pilled hard and went down the rabbit hole and was like i can't work in a in a i was i was I mean i was working um a sort of eight till six uh shift job um which allowed you to wear headphones and was working i was earning minimum wage um and it was a real like fall from not a fall from grace but um it was a real sort of awakening for me i guess i was like shit i never want to be in this situation again i want to have savings i want to you know be financially independent and sovereign and all these sort of things and obviously bitcoin also appeals to that because people forget that in learning about money you also learn better money habits i.e you learn to save because stacking sats is also just code for saving and a lot of people in the western world don't realize that you need to save so if there is a pandemic whatever you can sustain yourself and um, yeah, and then eventually, I Bloomberg got back in con- contact with me or the subsidiary in um in August 2020. Worked for them for a couple of months. and was like, I saw this. I need to. I need to work full time Bitcoin. So I um. Worked that must for have a... been
0: weird. That must have been weird. That point going back to work for uh, a mainstream fiat uh, Keynesian economic mm. fiat incentive driven as well uh, paper or magazine. Mm or publication whatever media network mm. with a new completely new rewired head that no, was
1: jokes it would i think it would have been funny to be a fly on the wall in those conversations um because everyone else asked I was asking everyone about bitcoin <laughs> you know because naturally they asked about the blockchain stuff still like to this oh. day they're still reporting about blockchain nonsense and um it was a it was an easy segue into bitcoin And you'd get CEOs of cocoa plantations in, you know, West Africa saying Bitcoin, buddy Ponzi scheme, that wouldn't touch it. Don't go near it. Or, you know, you get some other people who on record would be like, I am interested in the technology. And then you'd be like, oh, you're a hodler. And then you like message them offline and be like, "Okay, what's going on here? How long have you been in Bitcoin? Tell me a story. And it was I didn't realize that I was inadvertently doing my job at Cointelegraph before I, I was sort of at Cointelegraph.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um I was just, you know, desperate to to find out what's going on in the real world of Bitcoin and talk to people that are actually using it and um you know, share those stories and bring them to light. But I, I made another mistake on the way there. I I thought that I would have to like prove my stripes in the crypto world before um before working for like a crypto company. So I worked for Dapp Radar, which is like a web3 decentralized everything, tokenize, you know, cars, tokenize everything, put it on the blockchain. It is one of that those companies worked there for a couple of months but um was i, I couldn't I, I lost sleep over some of the writing that I was doing right because <laughs> oh, there was one day i like uh it still haunts me this um it was like chatting with a colleague on slack and um cleanse your was, soul oh. joe tell us all <laughs> yeah, yeah this is quite cathartic isn't it yeah. um it was, it was like um oh have you finished that report on x company yeah and i was like uh yeah yeah just you know finishing touches and he was like oh i thought i'd been rugged already and i was like what you know that like, he generally thought of this he, he knew that a lot of companies that we write and do content for are going to be rug pulls oh and i was like oh well this is just absolutely awful so we are outwardly like honestly like pub- publishing and writing stuff about Things that we know are going to be scams, and I'm not talking about you know like an Ethereum, for example, or you know a big, a big name blockchain. This is anything from like Squid Game token, which was obviously like a rug, to um, I don't know something that's just liable to a really obvious or easy hack or a, or a bug in the code or a DAO that could easily get leaked. You know, so many of these things are just like super risky for retail, and we were honestly knowingly writing about it, and that was like for me that was like I was like I need to jump ship. I need to do something in, I want to work and do something for Bitcoin because I think that, you know, it's the future and I want people to know about it more and I want people to learn about it and I want people to not be put off by the, uh, like the aggressive image that Bitcoin sometimes portrays. So I like, I'm all about human interest stories and like saying nice stuff that's going on in Bitcoin. It's a bit, it can get a bit airy fairy at times, but I don't know, I think there's definitely a space for it. Um, and so that's when I reached out to Cointelegraph and was like, listen, I want to talk to like the semi-converted Right, and uh, and I want to sort of shill the corn um, through through this medium, and then yeah, they were they took a chance on me, and I'm very happy they did because they're a great employer, and uh, yeah, and and as you know, I'm the uh, it's a, it's a oh, should I say that? It's a, you know, it's technically a shitcoin publication in the sense that obviously it does every coin under the sun, um, but you know you've seen my work and you know what I'm like, and yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm definitely very much into Bitcoin, and I, I won't, won't be writing any lovely things about you know Squid Game token anytime soon.
0: <laughs> when you're when you were back at that uh, Bloomberg subsidiary, could, looking mm-hmm. back now, because it's hard when you're in the belly of the beast. But looking back now, could you can you pinpoint? Can you pick out when the new narratives are being formed, or when there's some kind of? Um, command coming through from somewhere to say right for the next couple of months we need to be writing specifically about this topic Mm. and this nature whether it be Mm. a climate change thing or whether it be a covid thing or whether it be um you know fight against bitcoin you know is that easy to spot for you now especially when you see it in other uh, publications yeah for sure and Ah, man, there's
1: lots of examples I'd like to bring up, but I can't bring them up because <laughs> this isn't good for a podcast, sorry. Because um, there's confidential stuff, of course. But say right. there's a lot of editorial na- narratives that literally do just come from an editor, like, um, you know, look at the the Daily Mail or something. They'll have certain views which just come from Rupert Murdoch, obviously the, the multi-billionaire owner of a lot of the UK um publications and so the same thing will happen at bloomberg so like when it came to bitcoin for example we had to uh tread very carefully and it would never be a we're never going to talk positively about it because that just wasn't within their their sort of guidelines i guess um in terms of like new trend that came up yeah like blockchain was one of those new trends that came up climate change has been a a constant in a lot of publications for you know 10 20 years now i guess um trying to think about other things uh, new trends, like AI, there's a lot of like buzzwords or big data. For example, we we did a big thing on big data for a while. Mm-hmm. And with a lot of these things, you know, you'd, you'd handle them with kid gloves initially. And then there might be like an editorial line that comes from up above that would be like, okay, we need to pursue it in, in this light or, or or shape it in this way. Um, but when it came to like the actual interviews that I was conducting, if it was like an offline interview, then obviously I'm, I'm the only guy in the room. I can take it whichever way I want. However, when it comes to the actual print, that's when you know that ultimately an editor's job is to, to edit, right? Is to to make sure that the it's in in line with whatever the Economist wants to say or mm-hmm. or, or Bloomberg wants to say. Um, so you can certainly see the shaping of these narratives come through. Um, but uh, I don't know you, you, as a like intuitively you would naturally take that as a reporter and be like okay i'm at bloomberg i know that i need to have my anti-bitcoin hat on i need to have my like you know risk hat on and now i'm at cointelegraph i can have my pro crypto everything hat on which means that naturally things are in a much more positive light because we're kind of like a i guess a crypto cheerleader but within that obviously i'm a you know i've been accused of writing bitcoin propaganda and i was like <laughs> i'm wearing that as a badge thank you very much <laughs> Like that is that's a medal of honor thank you i'll take it um, so it's yeah, it's uh, I don't know that there, there's there's definitely top line stuff going on, but on a sorry about my dog barking in the background. Okay. <laughs> um, there are I, I don't know I'm I'm trying to think of an narr- uh, an example um, recently. Uh, say, say Craig Wright for example, you know the the fake, uh, fake creator of um, uh, Bitcoin. I shouldn't really even bring up his name because he doesn't deserve the, um, the 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 limelight that he's got. Um, you know, certain publications don't touch him and would never talk about him. Um, much like certain publications would never say talk about Tron in the crypto world, and that's just a, a top line thing where the owner might have a spat with them, or um, they might just you know not like him. Or say like the Economist might not like Bill Gates and therefore won't talk about anything like virus stuff. And so it literally can just be one person dictating this narrative, and you've just got to follow it, and you've got to read into that and, and take from it. Um, you know the sort of reading between the lines okay if they don't like Bill Gates then I probably shouldn't talk about the you know Melinda Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation or I shouldn't talk about uh, the work they're doing with you know crops or something in you know in the developing world and so you sort of yeah use, use your noggin a bit but um, I don't know I don't know really if I'm answering the question the way you want me to there but
0: um... <laughs> no you can answer it any way you like that's that's the uh you know idea of these podcasts just trying to get a look behind the curtain of what's going on you know when when we see like such clear fud the most um probably the the best recent example is the one the greenpeace thing right Mm -hmm. where um that came out of left field and just started trying to take down bitcoin um hashtag
1: change the code and um, yeah 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 (laughs) i interviewed ripple like a week after that right and um I don't know if this is Freudian. You can be the judge or not. But um, I introduced, I put the microphone to him. And I was like, hey, you know, Joe with and I'm here with um, this person from um, XRP. And he was like, oh, no, it's not XRP. It's Ripple. It's, it's Ripple. I'm not the head of the token. I'm the head of the company behind the token. <laughs> so essentially, I put my foot in it. And I don't know if it was like the, you know, Bitcoiner in me that was like portraying <laughs> him as the CEO of the token rather than the CEO of the company. But instantly I was like died inside a bit. And the guy that was behind the camera and the video director were there like, oh no, Joe, what have you done? Because <laughs> it was, it was well, literally like a week after the change of the code campaign had come come alive.
0: <laughs> right. Which was funded by them, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So their CEO, the CEO, or oh, the CTO of Ripple Labs. Can't remember his name. Um, was yeah, was sort of partnered with Greenpeace to Larson, essentially put right? the bill. Larson, yes, that's yeah. it. Yeah, I think he's. Um,
0: yeah, <laughs> so that was yeah, like a five million dollar hit piece or something. Mm. Basically, here is a donation as long as you write this. Yeah,
1: yeah, bought and paid for. I mean, there is so much bought and paid for um, journalism now, and there is, and it's so hard to do truthful, sort of investigative stuff. Um, i mean even in um, gibraltar last week i went there to do some snooping cuz i heard some rumors that binance might might be opening an office there and uh, obviously they've um there's costa coffee and a few others that are accepting bitcoin over lightning and like i'm there i'm representing coin telegraph which obviously is a conflict of interest within the crypto industry because we want technically we want binance to prosper as much as we want you know coin telegraph to prosper cuz they're a big name in the space and there's a lot of like money changing hands behind the scenes where, it, where whether it's within conferences or um, i don't know paid advertising and stuff so it's very hard to be clear like non-biased and sort of clear-cut with your reporting it's also why i tried to steer clear of reporting on companies because it's just you know you avoid that accusation but it's made me wonder okay how can i actually like tell the truth in reporting nowadays like do i create a nim account on twitter do i leak stuff to people do i do like Corey clipston and you know just use my Twitter profile as a platform just to say what I like and then also be employed by Telegraph. I'm like trying to think of all these things and trying to work out like how can you actually effectively get the truth out there? You know, like there was um, Vold, the exchange went down recently and we got the scoop on that and I had the CEO on the phone 10 minutes before the exchange. It was like quite a big exchange in Thailand, 200,000 customers. And the CEO told me point blank ten minutes before freezing custom withdrawals. He said it's business as usual, and we do not respond to rumours. Wow! And ten minutes later, you know, I went back to my editors and said, okay, the, we've got the quote from the CEO. He said that you know they're not going to. Um, it's just business as usual, and he's not going to you know, contest these rumours. And uh, yeah, there, there was a tweet put up from Vol the exchange afterwards, which said, yeah, due to unforeseen circumstances and market conditions, we have to suspend, you know, all withdrawals and we've frozen customers' funds. And had I got that news out earlier, had I just tweeted it or had I leaked it to someone or, you know, I could have, you know, I'm I'm not trying to make myself out to be a superhero here or whatever, but you could have protected some investors' money, like they could have taken their Bitcoin off that exchange, taken Mm. custody of it, and it wouldn't now be frozen and locked by them. You know, Celsius, another example, so much going on behind the scenes there that I can't, I don't think I can say about, but it was just... There's so much um, naughtiness going on in the crypto space, and I'd, I'd love, um, and, and but there's also just all these conflicts of interests. What I can comment on with regards to the FUD stuff, um, which is uh, really interesting, is that um, a lot of people are just still misinformed. A lot of people haven't done the research, and I don't want to do the research either. But when I think back to my conversations with my colleagues in 2019, they were telling me on a professional level, we can write this. But on a personal level, they were saying, joe what are you doing don't buy that like you're going to get scammed we all know it's a ponzi and i was like <laughs> what what do i have to do to convince you that it's not this ponzi scheme there's no one big leader who's getting enriched because of me buying a little bit of bitcoin you know i can and now i live off it full time so how do you live off a ponzi scheme full time like someone please explain to me about how that works so it's a uh, yeah and then you know, I've been reaching out to some mainstream media people for some of the work um, with the Bitcoin conferences. Thanks to thanks to your amazing idea, actually, I think it's going to be a great talk. I um, don't know how much I should chill that. I'll chill it. Um, Let's do it. Yeah, yeah we're, do we're, we're, we're doing a, yeah. a panel discussion um, which you're moderating in um, Amsterdam in October for the Bitcoin conference, and uh, we're getting some mainstream media guys, so mainstream media, quite big hitter fudders or fuddists. I don't know what the word is. Uh, Fuddistas. And, um, and they are. Um, and I went to meet one of them, and I'm pretty confident she doesn't listen to your podcast. So I'm pretty sure I could say this, but she, she was her jaw dropped when I told her that I was paid in Bitcoin. I have been for a year, almost a year now, and you know I, I live off Bitcoin. And she was like, "But what? Bitcoin's used by drug dealers and criminals, and you know all these bad people and shadowy super coders, all this nonsense." And I was like yeah but so is the dollar (laughs) like even if it is used by these people they shouldn't be using bitcoin because it's a stupid thing to do if you're doing bad things like public service announcement service announcement if you want to do bad things do not do it with bitcoin you will get caught and it's a you know it's an immutable ledger it's just farcical to think you can get away with it um so yeah use the dollar if you want to be criminal um but back to the conversation with her she was saying um you know basically didn't believe in it thought it was a ponzi and has been reporting on it for five or six years now mm-hmm. and it's like, when, when at what point are they going to be the work and i was like I, like i read a lot of anti-crypto books but like i'm currently reading stephen deal's uh, the crypto bubble do, do you know stephen deal yeah. the, um he's like chief fud uh yes. the king of fud um he's got like an angry looking uh twitter um what do you call it monica um picture where um He's got, like, red hair and a ponytail and glasses. Stephen, D-I-E-H-L. He, okay. he, he pops up a lot. Oh, right. And, um, I see him now. You know? Yeah. He, yeah, he's um, very outspoken, and he wrote this book called The Crypto Bubble, and it's just... Um, it's a bit like along the lines of the 50 foot blockchain or the attack of the 50 foot blockchain, which is another sort of anti that's that book's more like anti bitcoin, anti blockchain, sorry. Whereas um, Stephen Deal just piles them all in together and says that it's all just a gigantic bubble. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm reading this stuff because I want to be informed of what um, anti crypto people say. And I just wish that they would also do their jobs and be informed of what the Bitcoin people say. You know, I'm, I'm not a proponent of Ethereum in any shape or form yet. I've read The In- Infinite Machine and, you know, I've watched way too much, way too many hours of Charles Hoskinson talking about Cardano and obviously he co-founded yeah. Ethereum. And I, I've, you know, I've been at conferences where Vitalik's spoken and, I've, you know, I have to do this as part of my job, but it, I hope and I w- would like to think that it gives me a more rounded view and a more rounded sort of basis to report from. So why can't these bloody, you know, mainstream media people do it?
0: Uh, again, it just comes down to the incentives. Um, mm. How much, it, it, We know as Bitcoiners, it takes a lot of work to get this, right? But if you're just working on that Fiat hamster wheel, 9 to five—oh, that's a joke, like uh, 7 to 9 p.m., 7 a.m. to 9 p.m., just writing, you know, it's that I need an article on this subject on my desk in two days' time.
1: Mm
0: and you, you know nothing about it and you've got two days to go and research it as well as keep up to date with all the other shit that you've got going on
1: just gave me a wave of anxiety <laughs> just I'm remembering back to those times oh god
0: right? so <laughs> it's impossible for them it, it's um, there's no way there's no way they're going to get to the, to the place that. I mean the only reason you got there is because you were working that factory job with your earphones in right
1: yeah that really did catalyze the process it was in a weird way i'm kind of grateful for it it really Mm. humbled me as well though because you know you go from like high-flying reporter who's one week i'm in one country one week i'm in another and my you know my passport's full of like visas and stamps and looks quite official and then before i know it i'm wearing a beanie and you know mitts in a in a warehouse putting drum kits into boxes (laughs) very stay humble and stack sats guys that's the only thing i can
0: say really (laughs) Absolutely, but the, <laughs> you know, if you've got a, if you've got that career at the Financial Times, that you've, uh, you know, the sunk cost fallacy there as well. Mm. You, like ten years you've built that, and you've got the dangled carrot of the next promotion, or the uh, or a different department, or maybe a different country, or whatever. Mm. You're gonna write what you're told. Mm.
1: And there's also an echo chamber within that space too, right? Mm-hmm. We know that most conversations we have with um, people that aren't into Bitcoin, they will probably, I mean, sometimes it's good, right? Sometimes like I do a lot of, like, interacting with random people on the streets for YouTube content for Cointelegraph. And I have actually noticed a sort of a change in the way in which people respond to it. Whereas maybe a year ago, people might be calling it like a Ponzi or a scam or being like, oh, like you're not losing money with that. Um, more people are receptive to it.
0: Um,
1: but yeah, but, point is that most people will still see it in this negative uh light um which is sort of circulates right they write this stuff it gets good feedback because people like to like to punch down bitcoin they like to punch down crypto um let's just talk about bitcoin forget the crypto stuff <laughs> they like to punch down bitcoin particularly in a bear market right because it's i told you so i was right and you almost feel like grabbing them and shaking and be like no you're not right it's still a you know even if you're talking about price, we're still at 20-something K or whatever it is. We're not at zero. <laughs> as long as my node's still running and there's a new block confirmed every roughly 10 minutes, then you're wrong. <laughs> and the more people that wake up to realise this, then the the world would be such a better place. Like, can you imagine a world on a Bitcoin standard? It'd just be mega. I mean,
0: I'll never see it, but wouldn't it be incredible? It, <laughs> it would be truly incredible. Um, and now, well, you live... You manage to live somehow, or, or purely on Bitcoin,
1: which is a big <laughs> <managed> dream.
0: <laughs> but, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, like merchant adoption is so key uh, at this moment, this next drive, because for those of us who have been stacking diligently and we understand what we're holding now, uh, none of us are rich until we can, you know, use it to improve our lives in the fashion that mm. we want to. Mm. And it's going to have to come down to merchant adoption because Mm. uh you know there's a lot of things out there that we we either need number one or desire number two Mm -hmm. and uh you know flitting in and out of fiat currencies all of the time is just a pain in the ass yeah Yeah. so how do you how do you manage it like um what's your what what's been the best way for you what are the services and tools that you use to you know get yourself around the world and uh, stay on as much of a bitcoin as possible
1: yeah, exactly. I was going to say in short, like the too long didn't read is that I don't quite manage as I really struggle sometimes. Yeah. Um, I basically got the instructions wrong when people said Bitcoin only. Um, I just thought, oh, OK, that literally means that I should only have Bitcoin and nothing else. <laughs> so, you know, that means no fiat, you know, no n- nothing else. Um, so, yeah, now I'm paid in Bitcoin and have been for a while now and uh, obviously I have to spend that Bitcoin to live. Uh, the first port of call for me was Orange Pill, my uh, landlord. So we had a couple of conversations, and then eventually he was like, Oh, okay, yeah, let's give this a whirl. I'll start accepting Bitcoin. And this was in July of last year. So mm-hmm. it was a good time to start accepting Bitcoin because the price was about 30. And obviously it rose to 60K or something. And he was loving me. It's <laughs> like, so, Great idea, Joe. Thank you very much. I'm going to ask my other tenants to pay me in Bitcoin uh come you know march of this year and he was like fuck you joe (laughs) what's wrong with you (laughs) and i was like clearly i didn't orange pill you well enough so i had a few more conversations um but that that for me was like obviously my biggest expense is rent so um that was like the key one and then when it comes to -to day-to-day stuff um either i use Bitrefill or the bitcoin company so the bitcoin company do visa cards which you can effectively buy with bitcoin and it gives you like a fake card, which you can then use, you know, wherever visa is accepted and um, bit refill, have anything from Uber to, um, I don't know, like I probably have McDonald's. They have all your fiat um, Fiat uh, desires on there um, in, in gift card format. So you spend, you know, what I usually do is just like get paid and then buy, like, put like 200 quid on Uber because in Lisbon I use Uber a lot because um, we don't have a car there and it's just crazy cheap. And it was, that means you also have Uber Eats and all the other services that come with it. Um, I need to think of another example quickly. Otherwise, people are going to think I'm on Uber's marketing team here. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they also have Glovo. There you go. There, there is a competitor. Um, I think they'll have Bolt too. Um, and so, yeah, you just end up using gift cards. And then wherever possible, I pay for things in Bitcoin. A lot of people, um, initially people were a bit annoyed about this. Like when I'd go out for like drinks or whatever, and we do a round and I'd be like, why not why don't i just pay you this round in bitcoin would you would you like that i'll just send it to to you in your lightning wallet and initially people were like oh, fuck's sake, joe that you and your stupid bitcoin stuff again and um you know <laughs> and now people are like actually pay me in bitcoin like my brother the other day was like oh, um, we bought tickets to a rugby game and he was like oh you know um i'll send you the money in bitcoin and i was like oh it's working this is cool and so you know if i can and obviously family members are some of the Slowest people to be orange pilled, right? Despite the yeah. fact that they're the closest to the person that's been well and truly converted, um, but in in it, it's still a struggle. I uh, I have had times when I've had to sell a little bit of Bitcoin, which is obviously really painful. And I hate to look at charts. I hate to work out when's the best time to sell. I've got no interest in what my entry price is, or you know what my, how much percentage up or down I am. I just care about what number of Bitcoin I have at the end of the month. Um, which is a weird state of mind that I didn't think I'd get to because people talked about this. You know, there was hashtag get on zero was trending for a while. Mm -hmm. It was like get on zero fiat Mm -hmm. and effectively I am on zero fiat. Um, And then I realized that I needed to get a system in place to have some fiat on hand because it was basically reckless and irresponsible to have like zero fiat just in case something went wrong. And, you know, the, the Bitcoin company card went wrong. So eventually I started selling my dad a little bit of Bitcoin every week that's like a workaround i've got in place so effectively i've become my dad's bitcoin exchange um but it's, that's it's, very it's, cool yeah but it's, it's much better because i just send it straight to his cold wallet and um, he sends me a bit of cash and that's like my that keeps me above water and not in like an overdraft i, I really want to like um sell uh, close bank accounts and just completely go bitcoin only um but i'm just not I, i'm as you probably can tell I'm, I'm quite i don't mind risk i quite quite like living life on the sort of the edge of my seat but um, getting to that point now is still a bit, um, uh, it's, it's, still, it's still a jump. Like there was, a, mm-hmm. um, I, had to, I had some random expense in like March of this year and I literally had no fiat and I had to ask my, my girlfriend to like spot me like a couple hundred quid and I was like, this is not cool. Like, this is really not cool. And and she was like, oh, you can pay me back in Bitcoin. I was like, yeah, for sure. But she was like, but I also need the money right now. <laughs> I was like, oh dear. <laughs> so you know they, they do end up being these um cheeky situations but with the bulk card that's made things a lot easier and there are a lot of places that you can have a, a fun conversation with them um i've also realized that the best thing to do is you know what you're doing today wear a, a piece of clothing that so shows you like bitcoin and more often than not people will start the conversation with you Rather than you being like, hi, do you accept Bitcoin when you walk yeah. into a bar or a coffee shop? Because sometimes people are like, oh, just, just pay me in fiat, get it done. <laughs> Whereas if you're wearing like a piece of, you know, Bitcoin paraphernalia, someone might just be like, oh, you, you know, you, you into Bitcoin. What's the, what's the deal? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have like a nice chat and you sort of you don't earn their trust, but you just show that you're a normal human being. And then they're like, when you can then you can then pitch them by saying, yeah, would you mind if I paid in Bitcoin today? Can I show you how it works? And, you know, maybe seven times out of 10, they'll be like, go on then. And you're like, okay, download a Moon wallet and I'll say, show you how it, how it goes. You know, we were
0: doing this in Madeira quite a bit, weren't we? Yeah.
1: Um, but, you know, to the, the tips, merchant. Tips, yeah.
0: tips are the, uh, that's 100% yes, every time. Yeah. Like, it's working, I'd, like right? to, I'd like to give you a tip. Okay, sure. Can I tip you in Bitcoin? Uh, only in Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> only. Yeah. Like, okay. Well, who's going to turn that down?
1: Yeah. Uh, and now you do it with the bulk card and it's just, you know, you hold the Moon wallet with the NFC to the phone. And it goes straight over. There's no scanning of QR codes or anything. It's it's crazy, but um, you, you know, Larry Lepard, uh, Lawrence Lepard, that was the yeah. He had that conversation with Jeff Booth while we we're in Madeira, and it led to him spending his first sats. And once he started spending them, he was like, you know, addicted. He was loving it. He was like trying to spend them everywhere. And he's like, Joe, you need to get the message out and tell people to spend sats more. And I was like, I'm doing this daily, man. Like, I, I have to. Um, but it was just, it was really awesome to see and the, the joy that it gave him and other people. Cause it is still magic internet money. It, I still have weird, like, shower thoughts where I'm like, this is mental that this bloke or blokes or women or whoever it was wrote this, you know, eight or nine page. Bit of text, which is now paying me and enabling me to live the lifestyle I want to live,
0: and giving
1: countless people around the world economic freedom. And
0: yeah, I mean, well, you started the buy chain right in in Gibraltar when someone bought you a coffee and then an ice cream. Oh yeah, that was and then, that also that,
1: blew my mind. The, the I want it's to make crazy. a meme. The, the guys, did you see the barista's face? The Costa Coffee barista's face.
0: I'll have to go back and watch it.
1: Oh, I need to zoom in on it and make it like a meme. He was right blown away <laughs> i basically went in there i was like listen mate i'd, I'd like to buy a coffee but can you just leave the uh, qr code up i'm going to tweet it out and i'm hoping that some lovely stranger from around the world will, will pay for it
0: so the story of the day was costa accepting bitcoin right yes. that that yeah. in gibraltar only is that correct correct yeah yeah That's, so um, but it's, for- it's the
1: first time in europe that a big chain has accepted yeah. bitcoin um right. so it's, it's kind of huge news anyway um but yeah and then i was just dicking around with bitcoin because you end up just playing with it don't you and yeah um yeah i was like yeah can you i'm gonna take a picture tweet it out and maybe someone will pay for it and he was like all right then sure as you know if you if you, if you must and i do it and then within maybe 30 seconds the screen goes green the big tick pops up and the guy was like what uh-huh. what has just happened and i was like well basically there's this thing called magic internet money <laughs> And you know that that for him was like immediate orange pill. He was like, "I'm buying some Bitcoin right now." And then, that's amazing. I yeah. did the
0: same in um, my brother's coffee shop in in Suffolk, and I put out yeah. the invoice, and it got paid. Uh, like... It was Stefan Liberio, wasn't it? And Someone bought my coffee. Don't know yeah. who. Thank you, whoever random player, but don't know who it was. <laughs> but then Stefan bought the um, the second one that went out there for uh, the random guy that uh, that walked in, Dan, who was actually working next door. He walked That's in and so said, "All cool. oh, right, we're going to try this. Let's see if someone will buy you a coffee with magic internet money. No. <laughs> All right. Yeah, and Stefan. I mean, imagine <laughs> that. Like, he has no idea who Stefan is. Like, yeah. no idea. He's like one of the most prominent Bitcoiners in the space just picked yeah, up your coffee. Big name. In Dubai. He was in Dubai. And you're here in the middle of, like, rural countryside. But then Daz from um, Australia, who's doing the look, uh, Through the Looking Glass series, mm. he, uh, he said, right, the next people that walk in... I want to pay for their coffee. So two old ladies walk in. I'd already left at this point. Mm-hmm. So Sam, who was there dealing with all this, you know, it's blowing everybody's mind. It was amazing. So they walk in. She said, yeah, the coffees are on. Some guy from Australia was just going to pay for it in Bitcoin this. And they're like, what?
1: <laughs> yeah. They're like, what did I have for breakfast this morning? Although
0: I think it might have just failed today. My mom is there with her friends and Andre was about to pay for her coffee. But I, I don't think I never saw... I never saw. Oh, no. No. It, it, we could have broken the buy chain with my own mum. Oh, God. I'm going to have to live that one down, aren't I? Oh, God. That's <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> this magic internet money doesn't even work.
1: Oh, it's it quite a big order. Is it the £8.71? 48,000 yeah. sats. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it's a bear market. I think we've it's got more, a... <laughs> three,
0: three coffees. Three coffees for her and her friends.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say you need to like tag, you know, Greg or you know someone that's a bit more.
0: <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> We're plebs for a reason, you know. So... Uh. Yeah. Oh, that's a shame. But yeah, this um, it's very cool and it rivals. I don't know if it rivals the stack chain because the stack chain has literally become a force of nature. It's yeah, crazy. I can't believe how big it just goes to show this. Be... There are so many people sat around the um, sat around at their computers all around the world, so just willing this thing on, and. You know, while the tech is amazing, it's, it's ultimately people that's going to use it. And I mean, you, you know this more than most, right? The, the Bitcoin community is just, it keeps surprising me. And, I, you know, I keep, it's I keep stumbling more stories. I'm like, why has no one told this story yet? This is, this is like beautiful. Or there's a, a story that I've just been given the green light to, to write. Do you know when this podcast will go out?
0: Uh, hopefully around the weekend. But I mean, we, we can okay cool. i can hold it back or speed it up what do, what do you need from no
1: that? i was just um i just got the green light to write a story about um a, a, a pleb who paid for his ivs treatment for his two babies who are obviously now bitcoin babies with bitcoin
0: amazing and i was like
1: dude this is this is life like bitcoin has changed your life it's like it's yeah. helped you build a family this, this story needs to be told and it's just one of countless stories that i keep coming up against and realizing that you know bitcoin or like when i'm in senegal and i realize like People have managed to that the house has burned down, or the government's taken it, or you know they've managed to build a business thanks to Bitcoin. You know, I funded a, a startup. I'm a I'm an angel. I'm something of an angel investor, actually. I, uh, oh yeah, I've uh, I've helped um, a friend of mine in Tunisia He was he was again our driver for the, when we were working there. He's he set up a business through Bitcoin um because I, I just kept sending him cash here and there and he was like i want to create this you know mechanics sort of shop i've always wanted to do this i was like mate i'll i'll, I'll help sponsor but only through bitcoin and you know a year to- a year later he's he's built this um, mechanics and he sent me pictures of it and i'm just like this is so awesome that i'm like able to be part of this and help people's you know lives improve because of it and but i think yeah that's a, another really important point is that the developed world we've kind of had our shot we've had our chance it's all on Africa, Southeast Asia, Latin America now. And I mean, we're seeing that with El Salvador, aren't we? And the other Central American countries that are running with Bitcoin. And um, we need to, yeah, these are the people that are going to get it quicker. Mm-hmm. You know, Argentinians tend to get Bitcoin way quicker than, say, a Brit, because they know what it's like to have a currency hyperinflate. They know what it's like to see government corruption you know, rather than the corruption we get, which is like, oh, I created a government contract for this business, which was a shell of this business, you know, it's sort of, in, it's a bit more sophisticated corruption, whereas, you know, in, in a lot of uh, the emerging world, it's more like under the table bribes. So I think, yeah, they, they understand what it is to have this open, distributed, immutable, trustless network, which, you know, you just buy something, that's you for life. So I, yeah, I get really excited about emerging markets and Bitcoin and can't wait to, mm-hmm get out of the UK and get out there and try to orange pill a few more people and write some fun stories along the way and create some and, content too.
0: Are they the kind of articles that um, you've kind of got, uh, do you have to fight to get the green light for those things because um, they're personal stories or it's against yeah. Or... Well, it's, it's a good question because uh, ultimately
1: readers care about price. They care about adoption and they care about um, emotion. Mm-hmm. So, for example recently like a story about like the worst places to keep your seed phrase that did quite well because um you know we're talking about something like quite secretive like a seed phrase and it's like the worst places so like we're going to be talking about like some catastrophes or people losing a seed phrase whatever it may be um and and obviously stuff about price or um like the halving those sorts of things they do really well Um, and unfortunately the stuff that i love to write about like uh Africa adoption, or you know people changing their lives in these um, emerging markets, that tends to get fewer hits, and people, the dwell, the dwell time is a lot better. So you can see how long someone reads a page for. Mm. and the dwell time tends to be a lot higher, which is obviously what we also care about because we whilst we're a you know news media agency, we also like to write stuff that people like to read. and that that's what's really nice, and that's what keeps me going, as well as like my own personal motivation, I really want to sort of help Bitcoin spread in emerging markets um it's nice to know that people actually read it and care about it because you know that there's that saying in journalism that the only person that really reads your article is your editor no one else actually cares right <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah anything to do with africa does really poorly in terms of like um viralness or morality um and getting getting it over the line this is what i love about coin telegraph is that they i'll be like i want to go to Tripoli next week because i've heard rumors of this and they're like go on then off you pop i'm like cool and i'm like i want to bring a video camera on to interview people and they're like go on then do that and they've really uh, trusted me just to run with it and i work really well in that sort of environment as opposed to sort of being dictated to um but yeah ultimately you've got to hit results you've got to hit kpis and mm-hmm. you know that an easy way of doing things is to um talk about the price
0: <laughs> so what what are your kpis what do kpis look like inside of a, a media
1: institutional sure. so so mine uh, it was obviously negotiated when uh, i you know took on the job first and then for me it's uh, i've got to hit a certain amount of content per week per month um i don't actually have readership uh, kpis but i think it's cuz um they're trying to work out how to make it fair maybe if they could introduce it, they would bring it in but say if you're about say you're an nft writer and you're writing about nfts in like i don't know october of 2021 you're probably smashing all your kpis out of the park because everyone in the dog is buying an NFT. Mm. Whereas now, good luck writing about NFTs, you know, people are starting to realize, oh, what is the utility of this? Yeah. What is the utility of this digital receipt? Oh, not a lot. Okay. Um, And so people get sort of a bit wiser to it. And equally, like if you, you could sort of game it a bit and write more about price um, than anything else. And obviously we have a markets team, which is dedicated and specialized in that sort of thing. Um, So uh, for me, yeah, it's, it's write a certain amount of uh, short form and long form content per week. And I tend to like, I actually really love writing and interviewing people about Bitcoin and I get a lot out of it. So I, I, I usually hit my KPIs quite comfortably. Um, but in the old jobs, it was um, hit a certain amount of uh, articles, hit a certain amount of meetings So actually meet with like X CEO or Y CEO right. here or there. And then it was also um shit, what the other ones? It was it was a long list. Mm. Um, a certain amount of words as well as the articles themselves, and then hitting a certain amount of like topics within that. So say I was in uh was so I was in Mexico, you'd have to talk about like the beverages market, and you'd also have to talk a little bit about oil and gas and energy. Because you know it was quite big for that. You know, it's like the world's largest exporter of coronas, for example, is, is, is Mexico. Yeah. Um, I guess it's probably pre-pandemic, It probably took a hit given that it was called the coronavirus. <laughs> um yeah now it's now it's bitcoin telegraph it's a lot better i'm really shilling coin telegraph here aren't i <laughs> i
0: only need to read your articles mate
1: yeah I don't, I don't care i don't care if we will read them at the end of the day i just uh i'm happy that the headline gets out there to be honest a lot of the time because do you, all, you
0: choose the title or do you have to like play around with the title or does someone else choose the title how does that work mm.
1: i mean i love a pun but a lot of my titles get rejected there, there was a funny oh. one recently um I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you exactly the the title process for this one. It was, it was good fun. I, I interviewed the guys behind him, um, the Orange Pill app, and um, who's a Bitcoin dating service. It's effectively like Tinder or Bumble for right. Bitcoiners. And then the other one uh, was um, Love is Bitcoin. Who I wouldn't be surprised if you follow them already on Twitter. They do really good um, memes on Twitter. Um Love is Bitcoin. They're pretty they're pretty active on there. Anyway, I, w- I basically wanted to tap into this phenomenon that Bitcoiners love to hang out with Bitcoiners in real life, and to quote Knut Swannholm, um, connecting with other Bitcoiners is a great experience. You can skip the social charade of talking about the weather, um, which is you know from his book. And yeah, I um, so my proposed articles were, want to meet hot single Bitcoiners in your area. <laughs> <laughs> There's an app for that or um, and then the other one was like uh, uh, lone, to all the lonely Bitcoiners uh, around the world, you know, here's your solution. It, it, was, it was something along those lines, like very clickbaity, very cheesy. And my editors were like, no, <laughs> this is not what we're going for here. And it became, you know, new social apps want to help Bitcoiners collect in real life. So usually I would really try to push the boat out with a pun or with cheesiness. Um, and just to have fun with it, because also the Coin Telegraph brand, you know, we use cartoons for God's sake. We are definitely a fun, easygoing. Um, our language is a lot more sort of um, approachable than, say, a Coin Desk or a Bloomberg or whatever. And so I think we definitely appeal more to millennial millennials and Gen Z for that reason. Um, but yeah, there are obviously limits to these things. So I, I always you always propose the headline, you always propose your angle, you always propose your narrative, so to speak, and then from that you write it, and then it's edited and. It fits whatever the Cointelegraph parameters are. Um, and yeah, but that's just pretty standard for most media outlets. And to be honest, my my work, I haven't noticed to be it to be edited that much, mm-hmm. um, which is again another reason that I, I like to work for them, and I think that it's it's cool. Um, How many yeah, articles
0: are you pinging out a week?
1: Uh, between like five and ten, and wow. then of which one of which is long form. But hey, it's my it's literally my job. I will sit on Twitter for the next five hours and love life just scrolling through all the bitcoin stuff that's going on waiting for the next crypto exchange to get hacked calling them up and being like yo has it been hacked and they'll be like no 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 of course it's not everything's fine yeah and then go back and and write an article and it also means that i get to you know i i spoke to prince philip last week Mm -hmm. and that was quite a funny one um this was thanks to your connection by the way so i do owe you a beer for this (laughs) i owe you a beer for lots of things currently actually (laughs) or punches punches exactly
0: (laughs) we can talk about madeira a little bit i suppose
1: yeah uh, sure th-
0: you know we were we were there together with uh, the the other bunch of guys obviously um we are hoping to make uh, more announcements of of the reason for uh, people being there on the island and uh, the outcome mm-hmm. uh but the reason you were there as well is because uh you reached out to andre straight after bitcoin miami 2022 mm-hmm. to ask about what was actually being said on stage by Mm. the Madeiran president and why was he there and what was the actual vision for the island Uh, it was a
1: bit mental wasn't it It took everyone by surprise
0: yeah yeah (laughs) it was definitely um yeah it was it was a you know one of those things that come down to the wire of is this going to happen or is it not and you know how do you communicate it properly and everybody had a different opinion Um, Mm. but, but since then you know, a lot more work has gone in behind the scenes uh, oh, to, for sure with with, um, with what's going to, you know, come out of Madeira hopefully. But if it weren't for you reaching out to Andre and asking him for some clarification and writing uh, an article about um, Bitcoin and Madeira in, mm. in Coin Telegraph, then um, you wouldn't have been invited to, to exactly. you know, hang with everybody um, in that weekend over that weekend in June and be part to each all of those meetings and the, the crazy shit that went on <laughs> i just want to know how much i can say i don't um, know either you know what i mean i, I just want the
1: <laughs> green light I, I messaged andre a couple of days ago um he's i just gotta say andre is such a legend like king of the plebs like I, I i reached out to him out of the blue um off the back of you know the madeira adopting bitcoin and it was funny because i was actually looking at going to madeira just to work there remotely for a bit mm-hmm. and the owner of the co-working space was Andre Loja, who replied to me and I was like, oh, this is funny. And, you know, we got talking and eventually we ended up going for a beer in Lisbon. And he told me the whole story of how the president of Madeira was, you know, one minute he's in Andre's co-working space talking about NFTs. And Andre's like, no, not NFTs. <laughs> it's all about Bitcoin. And then the next minute he's on the stage in Miami saying that, you know, he loves Bitcoin and thinks it's the future. And Samson Mao said those famous words, you know, Madeira, Madeira is embracing Bitcoin. And I wanted to get to the bottom of the confusion of this and also tell Andre's story because it was so cool. And this is what's amazing about a lot of the headlines in Bitcoin is that there's always an amazing story of someone behind the scenes who's done something awesome or has got this cool sort of orange pill journey. And so, yeah, I had a beer with him in Madeira, Um, really nice chat with him and his wife. And, you know, that became the article, which then led to my invitation to Madeira. But the funny thing was that just off the back of that interview, I had an interview, another one lined up with the... um, the head of Tahini's, the Canadian yeah, Ali. Uh, Middle Eastern cuisine. Yeah, Ali, yeah, who's another great guy. He's actually one of the few Bitcoiners I've ever met who didn't shitcoin. He went straight to Bitcoin. And that's quite a, quite a rarity. And... But anyway i was i said to andre i was like oh i've got I've, i'm really sorry to cut this short but i've got to go speak to ali who's you know head of tahini's and that, andre you know what he's like he, he's he's the guy that his his motto is like i don't know shit about fuck but in reality <laughs> he gets a lot of stuff done and um yeah he's like oh tell ali that i want to bring a tahini's to madeira and so obviously i open up this zoom call to to ali from tahini's and i was like Hey, Ali, just got off the phone with a guy, just met with a guy called Andre in Madeira. He wants you to bring a tahinis there. And he's like, oh, well, let's have a conversation. And I was like, yeah. well, this is, this is just how stuff happens in the Bitcoin world. It's it's just so quick. And, you know, it's because people know that if you're on the same page, which they tend to be, then, then stuff just gets done. But, uh, but yeah, the, the, the Madeira thing was incredible. And uh, it was very cool to meet people who I'd read their works of for so long. You know, like Jeff Booth and his, his story has been very impactful for a lot of people. So Jay into Bitcoin, whilst it's not a Bitcoin book, you know, the price of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It certainly is one that prepares you for a world in which Bitcoin would be the, the world currency. And uh, yeah, I, again, for the, for the Madeira thing, I'm just waiting for the green light. I'd love to write about it. I'd love to talk about it more. Um, I want to come back there as well and do some videos on the street. Like um, Cointelegraph have this Crypto Street um, sort of series where I just make a prat of myself on the street asking people if they recognize the B on my t-shirt right and um i did it in gibraltar uh th- last week and i interviewed a guy that has two macaws and uh i also interviewed some kids like some eight-year-olds who were like it's a b coin and i was like almost bitcoin but you know um, their parents didn't recognize it but they did so it just goes to show the kids are
0: mate you future. you and mike still brothers in arms
1: i messaged him yesterday to be like thanks for the inspo um yeah. i'm a uh, Keen to do this, I, I had you asked me about the media thing and like the the funny stuff that goes on in the space. I, I know we've only got a certain amount of time, but I I really should share this story about Prince Philip of um, Serbia because it was so funny. So, you know, the media sometimes is just Chinese whispers, mm-hmm. and he'd gone on a podcast on the BTC Reserve podcast, and he said that it's only a matter of time before an Arab country adopts Bitcoin as legal tender, and so the headline following that was it got picked up by Bitcoin magazine and all the big Twitter accounts and like you know Bitcoin whale and all these people were saying Prince Philip of Serbia says Arab country to adopt Bitcoin soon and so I interviewed him with uh with Sophie actually um for a podcast series that we're we're in the process of either publishing through coin Telegraph or separately and uh, uh we we did it hey hey, so that's good and um he told us he, I was like you know Prince Philip one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today was because, of the rumors that an arab country is going to adopt bitcoin and he was like oh yeah you know he went into detail and he basically said well it's just inevitable that all countries will adopt bitcoin won't they and i was like oh, okay brilliant cool we finished the chat i go to coin telegraph and say yeah we've got we've got a few quotes from the royalty that says that um who's clarifying these rumors and so the headline was you know, prince philip calms rumors of arab state you know bitcoin adoption right. and in the article it said Arab countries won't, um, it's not a question of Arab countries um, adopting Bitcoin because Bitcoin is Sharia or, you know, Islamic compliant. It's more the fact that, you know, Bitcoin is inevitable and every country will eventually adopt Bitcoin. Publish the article, three hours later, Bitcoin magazine tweets, Prince Philip of Serbia, all countries around the world to adopt Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd then written an article off the back of my article saying, um, you know, Prince Philip of Serbia is all, all Arab countries to adopt Bitcoin. And I'd said this to Cointelegraph, being like, you know, the whole point is to, to dumb this down a bit and not yeah. to capitalize on this whole, like, everyone's adopting Bitcoin all the time. And then our bloody Twitter account for Cointelegraph was like, then played off the Bitcoin magazine one and said, like, Prince Philip told, you know, Cointelegraph in an exclusive interview that all countries will adopt Bitcoin. And I was like, oh, God, I'm part of this silly wheel of, you know, <laughs> churning out the silly headlines off the back of, you know, what were essentially qualifying statements rather than, you know, announcements. <laughs>
0: Once the plebs get a hold of something, it can go in so many different directions.
1: Yeah. I, I've since started to play with it and like put certain little Easter eggs in my article that I know that when it's plagiarized by another news outlet, I know that right. it's come from me specifically. Uh-huh. And so I know that I'm the source. And I've been like, well, sod this. If it is that quick, these Chinese whispers, and if the news does spread that fast, then I want to know that it definitely was me. And
0: so Everyone's like, looking yes. for the scoop, right? That's yeah. the problem. Yeah, you got to be first. You've got to be first. If you're not hmm. first, you're last. Yep, Ricky Bobby. But doesn't that be. then, th- that, that breaks the incentive for deeper research, doesn't it? Exactly.
1: Are you just like instant news hit? You know, the adrenaline rush, the dopamine of being addicted to these or is there some analysis to it? But I, I do th- think there's you, you've definitely got to go to the news source. Like, you know, I, I would will, I will be the first to jump on a plane and go check what someone is saying. You know, like when Coin Corner said that um, Gibraltar is adopting all these coffee shops. I think it's poor form to just report that as news. I think you've yeah. got to call someone in Gibraltar, talk to the owners of the coffee shops, get some more sources to confirm it. A lot of our news nowadays is just Twitter handles, isn't it? Let's be honest, it's just Twitter um yeah. 140 yeah. characters. <laughs> and that's not good enough. We've got to we've got to get better at crypto journalism. And um, but as a result, we've got to get um give journalists the the credit. Uh, where credit's due you know if there was a source and it was it was say, you know coindesk or whatever then that's that's they should be accredited as being the source and then that's you know totally legit but i think that yeah the whole media news thing it's all completely messed up anyway isn't it it's, it's uh there's just so much going on all the time and obviously it's 24 7 and crypto doesn't sleep either so
0: no exactly mate exactly all right well i'm going to ask you the final question I'm ready. If you had one orange pill left to give to somebody, who would you give it to, and why? So
1: I've I've obviously had plenty of time to think about this because you you obviously, obviously asked this to all of your guests, um, and I'm an avid listener, as you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if if Lauren was here, I was gonna bring a taxidermy stuffed mole. By the way, oh so yeah, if has a mole. Yeah, because you know, you were talking about moles in a podcast a couple of weeks ago. And god damn it, were it, we? Yeah, with um a trucker, a, a Bitcoin trucker, and documentary maker. Forget his name. Um, it, there was a big conversation about how moles, you know, break horses' legs and stuff. And I had a I had a taxidermy mole that um Sophie's dad had gifted to her mum once. There's a long story about this, but um for another time.
0: <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so um. Uh, initially i thought it'd be funny to give it to someone like ed sheeran and so he'd like just write songs about bitcoin the whole time mm-hmm. and therefore like orange pill the masses but we're, in, we're yeah, in ed sheeran country right now are you in suffolk yeah
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. so the castle uh, on the hill it was written by like, it was written about that wasn't it Framlingham. yeah it's uh, uh, Framlingham castle uh oh, cool. And I tweeted at him to come and join our Bitcoin meetup at the uh, the Suffolk Jungle Room in Metfield uh, on Sunday, but he he didn't show up. So I don't know what you're doing, Ed. I know you listen. So
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> take the orange. Part. So if if, if not,
0: that would be a good one. Yeah, go on then.
1: But um, but no, the real one was my mum. I would give it to my right. mum. Um, for a few reasons. Uh, firstly, because I think she doesn't realise what I do right now is actual work, and it's definitely still in the I don't trust you know Bitcoin camp yeah. um so i have done a lot i've done a lot of things i'm proud of in the past couple of years and i'd love to be able to like share it more openly with my mum mm-hmm. it's still my mum you know at the end of the day mm-hmm. and whether she likes bitcoin or not it'd be nice to like sort of share my achievements and you know my challenges too and talk about it rather than talking about the bitcoin win her thing. admiration well yeah yeah i guess there is a little bit of that yeah we've all got an <laughs> ego at the end of the day um and so yeah that'd be really nice to be able to talk about it um secondly because i think her worldview has definitely been changed a bit since the pandemic mm. and uh she's also realizing that a lot of what we've been told is not what it seems and uh yeah i'm not being conspiratorial but yeah it would definitely help her out um understanding that the money's broken yeah and she's never been great with with finances anyway and the third thing is like it's my mum, you know i want her to be happy and bitcoin makes me happy yeah. It, um. It makes me plan for the future, fills me with hope and optimism, and why wouldn't I want that for my mum? You know.
0: Yeah. Exactly, mate. And I've actually just heard my mum's just arrived back from the cafe where. I have Hopefully. no idea. I have no <laughs> idea if anybody picked up those coffees for. <laughs> <laughs>
1: if not it's all good if she's spending sats then it's you know we can't have any network effects without and um, without or any adoption without spending sats
0: yeah although i'm yeah i'm gonna have to explain why nobody uh oh perhaps it was just a quiet morning on twitter anyway <laughs> yeah there's,
1: there's no such thing as that no such thing as a quiet morning on on twitter ever
0: <laughs> all right mate well it's been a great rip thank you um thank you for doing it thanks for for what you're doing as well because uh, uh, you know writing these articles that you write and getting them out there as to as many people as possible is that's that's the skill set that you bring to to you know pushing this thing forward and um i look forward to the podcast so i want to you know let me, me know too. when when you release this
1: sick yeah yeah it's just if coin telegraph like it they'll take it if not then um it's be independent it's well, yeah, that's it, because it's too maxi for Cointelegraph, unfortunately.
0: Mm-hmm. I thought
1: calling it like the maxi hour or something would be funny. Yeah. but And it's got Sophie in it, and Sophie's you know, so she's, she's great, and uh, she's hilarious on the podcast as well. So it's uh...
0: Well, I expect good sound quality, if nothing else.
1: Oh, yeah? Sophie. Of course,
0: of
1: course. Yeah. <laughs> New Gen audio, audio, or Shill, then. They'll be accepting Bitcoin soon, guys, so well, go buy your sp- audio software plugins.
0: They might be sponsoring your uh, independent show before you know it yes that's a that's a really good overlap good collaboration
1: yeah good point okay you got um, some work to do yeah can, can i show the coin telegraph youtube channel as well because i will be doing lots more like live reporting on there soon
0: yeah absolutely
1: and we do get we do get big names on there and there's i know that obviously a lot of your audience will be um maxi maxi but genuinely coin telegraph is like there are Bitcoiners here i mean hey i'm here and uh we we do make some interesting comment we're we're pretty we've been here for eight years or something now so you know uh, check out the
0: youtube channel youtube channel just go to go on telegraph Telegraph
1: and and look for your videos yeah there's there there should be plenty coming out soon as i'm doing a lot more like reporting as opposed to like writing and reporting Mm -hmm. like going a bit old school i guess holding a microphone up to random people right yeah i've interviewed a dog so far i've interviewed a couple of parrots. i've interviewed a monkey (laughs) so trying to orange pill the animal kingdom i
0: love it all right mate well thanks for spending the time take care appreciate what you do and speak again soon
1: cheers bencie always a pleasure hopefully catch you soon see you mate cheers
0: mate and catch joe soon i did as we got to hang out at the opening game at bedford town to go and support the team And also support the meetup that happened just before that game, which was great to see. There was about 50 to 60 people there, a complete mix of maxis, noobs, and families. Lots and lots of families, and good questions coming from the mums of said families, uh, which is, this is what it's all about. It's a grassroots movement. And Joe even got to uh, interview Peter uh, very briefly after the game, uh, so look out for that on the YouTube channel as well, as they probably um, did some some fun little anecdotes uh, around the Bitcoin world and his work at Bedford and what he, he hopes to see for the future of the football club. Thanks, Joe, for everything you're doing, mate. Uh, excellent reporting. We need more of that. And hopefully you can orange pill many more people as you, uh, as you grow in stature and uh, more people get to know you within the space thank you everybody for listening and uh, I just want to give a few quick shills to those pleb projects that are out there that you might not know too much about consensus network is the first place I'm going to go to that is a brilliant initiative to transform not just trans late, but to transform as many Bitcoin books into as many different languages as possible. Hit the link in the show notes. Go check out whether that language that you need is in there. If not, reach out to the Consensus Network guys and they will start working on it. They are a brilliant team of Bitcoiners. All there for the cause of spreading education. If you want some cool t-shirts, go check out what Max at the Bit by Bit podcast is putting together. His ungovernable misfits Merch range is definitely worth checking out. I love the t-shirts he sent over. Thank you to yourself and Mr. Crown. Like I said, hit the link in the show notes and you'll be taken straight there. And some discounts will apply if you use the code Bitten. If you're not stacking, you know where you should be stacking. Swan Bitcoin in the US, knocking it out of the park. Coin Corner here in the UK, also accepting Euro. Bitcoin Reserve will accept many different currencies based in the in the Euro region, but can accept the U.S. dollars. Relay, same deal. They'll be able to accept euros and pounds and a few other currencies as well. Of course, Swiss francs. They're based in Switzerland. Get to a conference. Use the links in the show notes to get yourself a discount on the tickets. These tickets, they go up in price as the conference draws near. That's just the way this business works. Pacific Bitcoin being put on by Swan. Liberty in Our Lifetime put on by Free Cities Foundation. And Riga, the Honey Badger conference, is going down at the start of September. And get across to Amsterdam for the big one by the Bitcoin magazine, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to the next show. Take care.